Our scripture reading this evening is Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. This is Jeremiah speaking. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places that be dead as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. That's poison. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. Thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. So far we read God's holy word. The text for the sermon is verses 22 and 23. 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Beloved in the Lord, this is a this text is a heartfelt confession of hope and comfort. And I will freely tell you that I did not intend to preach this sermon when I came to Loveland. But when I heard the beautiful program Friday night, I remembered this text well and decided that I would preach on this instead, the sermon I made about a year ago. So that's why we consider this text tonight. But while you children had a beautiful program and spoke of wonderful things about the faithfulness of God, perhaps you didn't know that that text is in the midst of terrible sorrow. The words of Jeremiah come in the context of Jerusalem's destruction. God had visited Jerusalem with utter destruction. Now that was completely deserved, you understand, because Israel, Judah, had departed from the Lord, had gone after idols of the nations around them, had totally neglected and transgressed the commandments of God without any shame whatsoever. God warned his people. He sent prophet after prophet to warn them, turn back to the Lord. Keep his commandments. They would not hear. God sent enemies to afflict them and to turn them. The Assyrians, then the Egyptians, then the Babylonians. But Judah would not return unto the Lord. And so in just judgment, God sent the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, cruel soldiers who came into homes and killed Fathers and mothers, little children, young and old, they killed with the sword. And what was left, they carried away to Babylon. They went into the temple of God, God's holy temple. They tore off the brass and the silver and the gold and carried it away. Then they burned it. They did the same to the king's palace and anybody's home that was worth anything. And then they went to the walls of Jerusalem, knocked them down flat, and they burned the city. Jeremiah stands in the midst of that city. He's weeping. That's what lamentations means. He's weeping because of the destruction of the church of God and God's terrible judgment. The purpose of Jeremiah is not only to give expression to his unspeakable grief, but it's also to remind the people that are left, because there are some left, and there are some to whom this would be sent that in captivity. This is God's hand. He has done this. He describes the terrible torments that he has endured. Here in this chapter, verse 1, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Now, 
the eye there can be thought of as Israel as a whole, the church, or any member of it, Jeremiah, and anyone that is afflicted. I have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. God has afflicted me. That's the point that he drives home here. God has done this to us. And he describes the horror of soul when he looks at the destruction of God's church. The result is deep despair. In verse 18, my soul and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remember in mine affliction and my misery the wormwood and the gall. And yet, there is hope. The church has been brought into captivity, but there has been a prophecy given already to Jeremiah that one day God will bring them back after 70 years. There is hope. And the verses that we consider tonight express that tremendous hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. This text can be a personal confession of any one of us. And of the church as a whole. In our trials and in our afflictions we realize. Though that person may have done something to me. Though the world might do something to the church. It is God's hand that rests upon us. And we realize we are sinners. We deserve nothing good from God. Nothing. Not any good days. Not any good health. Not any family joys at all. We deserve only God's wrath. We deserve to be cast away from Him. But God is merciful. Because of His mercy we are not consumed. And His mercy will not ever be taken clean away from us because God is faithful. So let's consider these verses with the emphasis on mercy. That's the main thought of the verses. Confessing Jehovah's unfailing Daily mercy. Confessing Jehovah's unfailing daily mercy. We'll notice first of all the reality. So we'll look at mercy, God's mercy toward us. And then secondly, the certainty. And that's where we look at God's faithfulness. Why is it so certain that God's mercy will not be taken away? Because He's faithful. And then thirdly, look at the comfort of having God's mercy come to us every single day. What is God's mercy? Mercy is an attribute of God. We looked this morning at the attribute of God's love and God's righteousness. Well, tonight we look at the the attribute of God's mercy. And God's attributes are what, if if I may put it that way, make God to be what He is. He is His attributes. He is love. He is righteousness. He is mercy. The Bible emphasizes that God is a merciful God. You remember when Moses wanted God to reveal something of His glory in Exodus chapter 
34, that God passed by Moses. And, and then notice what God says to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. The first attribute God gave to Moses. Merciful and gracious. But he's not finished. Long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity. God is a merciful God. You find the same thing in Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. God is merciful. This is an attribute of God. Because it's an attribute of God, God eternally has always been a merciful God. Even before He created Adam, before He created anything, God was merciful. So the mercy of God is something that's within God Himself. Now that attribute of God's mercy is clearly is closely linked to His love and His grace, but the distinctive element of mercy is that it's a determination to bless. A determination to bless. So God within Himself as the merciful God is always willing and working His own blessedness. The Father within the Trinity has mercy toward the Son and the Spirit, desiring the blessedness of the Son and the Spirit. The Son within the Trinity is merciful toward the Father and the, and the Spirit, desiring the blessedness of the Father and the Spirit. And so the Spirit toward the Father and the Son. Within the Trinity, God is merciful toward Himself, willing, working always His own eternal blessedness. God's covenant life within Himself, therefore, is characterized by love and mercy. And the mercy that He has toward Himself within His Trinity is governed by love. It's exactly because the Father loves the Son and the Spirit that He is merciful toward them. Now, God's mercy toward His people, that's, that's God's mercy within Himself. But God's mercy toward His people is always toward a people who are in distress. They're in suffering. And the mercy of God, therefore, is His determination to lift them up out of their suffering and to bless them. Lift them up out of their misery. Dry their tears and make them to be truly blessed, truly happy. That's God's mercy toward His people. The mercy that God would give them is, rather the blessedness that God would give them is blessedness which His own blessedness, lifting them up so that they will enjoy some of His own joy and blessedness. And the mercy of God is a power that does it. It lifts them up. It makes them to be blessed. No matter what the circumstances of life may be, God blesses His people. This mercy of God is particular. It's not on every person. God said that in the Old Testament. He repeated it in the New Testament. I will have mercy 
upon whom I will have mercy. The rest I will harden. I will have mercy. My mercy is particular. And that mercy, again, is governed by His love. He has mercy upon those whom He loves. And therefore, it's those who are in Jesus Christ, those whom He has loved eternally, that He has determined, I will bless these people. I will have mercy upon them. All that comes out in the two words that are found in the text, compassion and mercy. Those two words together complement each other and express the fullness of God's mercy. One of those words expresses the internal feeling of mercy that God has, and the other word expresses the activity of mercy. The word that expresses the feeling of mercy within God is compassion. If you know the Latin, then you know that that word compassion means to suffer with. And that's the same thing that sympathy means, to suffer with. When a person has sympathy on someone else, he is moved by the suffering. He's not someone that just says, well, there's suffering there, but he's sympathetic. He feels some of the pain. That's the word compassion. The word literally in the Hebrew means to be soft, to behold with tender affection. And it's closely connected, associated with the bowels. As when the two harlots stood before Solomon, both of them claiming that that living child was hers, and Solomon said, well, get a, get a sword then and cut it up and, and give half to each of them. And we read that the bowels of the mother yearned for her child. She had great compassion for her child and said, no, no, don't kill the baby. Jesus had compassion. After a long day when he was thoroughly exhausted, he was with his disciples in a home and someone knocked on the door and they opened the door and there were hundreds of people out there suffering with sicknesses and diseases and devil being being taken over by devils, and Jesus had compassion on them and went out and he healed. And when he saw the funeral procession and knew that it was the only son of this poor widow, he had compassion on her and he raised the son from the dead. God has compassion on his people. And probably the best verse for that is Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pitieth his children, even so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's the idea of compassion, feeling pity toward someone. In compassion, you read through the scriptures and look for that word, in compassion God forgives His people. In God's, God's continuing compassion and grace preserves His people, 
when he withdrew that for a moment, then the Assyrians and the Egyptians and finally the Babylonians come and take them away. But he has compassion. He will bring them back into their land. God is a compassionate God. He is moved by the suffering of his people. So that's compassion. But out of that feeling of compassion, then God acts. He doesn't merely say, well, that's too bad that these people are suffering. No, he, he acts. And that's the word mercy. The word mercy has activity in it. And that's why it's translated in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's the kindness of God. Sometimes it's the loving kindness of God. It's translated that way. Sometimes it's just the goodness of God because it refers to God's activity of mercy. Rahab showed kindness, literally mercy, toward the spies. She didn't turn them in. She showed kindness, mercy toward them. Merciful act of kindness, again, is rooted in love. You really are not going to be very merciful. You're not going to show much kindness to somebody if you do not love them. But when you do, you will say, how can I help? How can I lift you up? What can I do to relieve your suffering? That's what God does. Mercy is a determination then to lift out of that misery. When God beholds it, there's not an obligation. God is not obligated to do that. It's simply out of His own mercy that He determines to do this. The result is that the one who was low is helped, saved from destruction or saved from suffering and sorrow and made to be blessed, happy, have joy in their souls. This is the mercy then that God displays to his people. This is what verse 22 is talking about when it says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Now, obviously, when you speak that way, we were almost consumed. We were afflicted. Jeremiah obviously says it in the terrible circumstance of the destruction of Jerusalem. But the reality is the people of God can say this any time in their life and many times. The church, God's people, face adversity because of the hatred of the world that would seek to destroy her. The people of God endure troubles and sorrows in life. They are brought low by afflictions, by sickness, diseases, and surgeries. They endure disappointments due to friends and family turning away from them. They face death itself. But for the believer, the main cause of, sin, of sorrow is our own sin. Sin violates God's commandments. Sin is committed, you understand, the terribleness of it is that it's children of God sinning against Him. Children who have been adopted into the very covenant life of God, who are promised the inheritance of eternal life 
who are assured that they have treasures in heaven which cannot be taken away, reserved for them. And yet they sin. Yet they turn their back upon God. When God gives His Word, they have little interest in studying it. They're much more interested in having fun in this world and seeking the material things of this world. They turn their back on fellowship with God and they seek fellowship with the world. They give themselves to all sorts of earthly concerns and pleasures, the entertainment of the world, the pursuit of money, and they give themselves to hours of watching videos on YouTube or worse. Sin brings them into misery, even into bondage. Called to love God with all their being, to love the neighbor as themselves, they are by nature prone to hate God and the neighbor. They are incapable of doing any good in themselves, absolutely. They're inclined to every evil. They deserve the wrath of God. We do. We deserve it. Just as Israel of old deserved the judgment that they received, so do we. And so God chastises. And He brings trouble into our life. And He brings sorrow into our life. Sometimes the chastisement is for a particular sin. And God makes that plain then. He doesn't make us guess. He makes, us, he makes the chastisement and the sin so closely connected that we know exactly why He's chastising us. But other times it's more general. It isn't because there's a sin in particular, but because we're not walking with Him as we should, and He wants to draw us back to Himself. And He brings chastisement, and chastisement makes us miserable. Pain and sorrow and trials. And yet, we are not consumed. We are not destroyed. Why not? Is it because there's something good in us yet? Is there something that maybe we've fulfilled some kind of a condition and therefore God is still going to be merciful toward us? Of course not. That's never, ever the reason why God is merciful. There's nothing good in us. There's no work that can possibly fill some kind of a condition. It's simply this. God said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. He simply decides not to consume us, but to have mercy. Ultimately, the reason why that mercy continues to flow to us is because of Jesus Christ. Psalm 89, which is all about the mercy and the faithfulness of God, in that psalm, it speaks of the fact that God established His covenant with Christ. And he says, though the seed of Christ, though His people, you and I, will walk in sin, and God will sometimes have to chasten us, yet, says Psalm 89, I will not take my mercy from Him. My mercy will never depart from my Son. 
for it's never taken away from us. God's mercy flows to us because of Jesus Christ. Because He died for our sins. Though we forfeit the right to that mercy, because of Christ, that the mercy of God and His compassions fail not. But how do we know that that mercy will indeed not ever be taken away? That's because of God's faithfulness. That's the certainty that that mercy will ever be upon us. God is faithful. God's faithfulness is His steadfastness. You have a faithful worker, it's, you can give him a task and you know he's going to complete it. He's going to do it. He's faithful. God is faithful. He is steadfast in His being and in His works. The, the word itself in the Hebrew comes from the root that means the same thing as, and really is, the word amen. Amen. It's the word that Jesus used when He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. What He was really saying is, Amen, amen, or truly, truly, you can be sure about this. And that's what the Heidelberg Catechism says the word amen means. It shall certainly be. That's what amen means. And that's the word that expresses God's faithfulness. We sing of God's faithfulness in the Psalms. Psalm 36 verse 5 we say God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And then again in Psalm 119 verse 90 God's faithfulness is unto all generations. So there's no limit to the height of His faithfulness, and there's no limit to the extension. It goes on and on throughout all generations. God is a faithful God. It's very much tied to the name that is used in the text. It is of the Lord's mercies. All capital letters, Jehovah. The I am that I am, the unchanging, faithful, covenant God. That's the name that the text uses. God is always there. God is firm. God is steadfast. He is immovable and unchangeable. The God who is truth, who cannot lie. God is to be trusted. He is absolutely faithful in every promise He has ever spoken. And God especially manifested that faithfulness, therefore, as He does all of His perfections in Jesus Christ. God spoke and He promised the seed of the woman will save you, Adam and Eve. He will crush the head of the serpent. And He went on to develop that promise and say, this seed will be of the tribe of Judah. He will be of the line of, David, of Abraham and of David. He will sit on David's throne. The covenant will be established with him. He will redeem Israel from all his transgressions. That was God's word. And Jesus fulfilled the word perfectly. 
perfectly. God is faithful. He sent His Son into the world in the glorious miracle of the Incarnation. And His Son did absolutely everything His Father promised His Son would do. He revealed the Father. He demonstrated God's love and mercy in His life as well as in His death. He redeemed Israel, that is to say, the church of God throughout all the ages given to Him. He took the guilt and the punishment of His people upon Himself, and He paid for that, as we saw this morning, and He finished it. The full salvation, He earned for us eternal life. Everything God promised, Jesus did perfectly. Therefore, we can be sure His compassions fail not. He's faithful, absolutely faithful. The mercy of God will go with you throughout all your life. Now, to emphasize that, the Bible connects God's mercy and His truth and puts them together. As we have in Psalm 26, verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to them to such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. We read one, Psalm 100, verse 5 at the beginning of the service. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Mercy and truth. And throughout the Scriptures, God puts those two things together, His mercy and His truth. God will maintain both. He will be merciful. He will forgive. He will lift up out of misery, and He will bless. And at the same time, He will maintain His truth. He will maintain who He is, the Almighty God of heaven and earth, the Holy One, the Covenant God. God will maintain His truth. And that means what God says, what He promises, He will maintain. Salvation in Jesus Christ, deliverance from sin, deliverance from hell. God has promised that. He will do it and bring His people to the highest blessedness in glory. God's mercy will never fail because His truth will never fail. What He has promised, He will the text says, great is His faithfulness. What makes the faithfulness of God great? Many things we could say about that, but let me try to illustrate how the Scriptures bring out the greatness of our God, the greatness of, our, of His faithfulness. And first of all, the, the greatness of His faithfulness is evident from the objects of His faithfulness and His mercy. The objects of His faithfulness. They are so insignificant as compared to the Almighty God of heaven and earth who upholds all things, who rules over all things. There is that God and He says, I will be faithful to you, puny little people here on the face of the earth. It's one thing for a man to say to his wife at marriage, 
faithful to you. And the wife says, I will be faithful to you. It's one thing for a man to say to his son, I will be faithful to you, son. To his daughter, I will be faithful to you. But that's one person to another person. And now you think about God saying that to to us. It's a bit like a man saying to a colony of ants, hundreds of thousands of ants, I will be faithful to you. I will take care of you. And there's hundreds of thousands of ants there. If he loses track of two or three or twenty or a hundred ants, who's going to know the difference? That's a bit of a comparison between the difference of God and us. But God, when He says, I will be faithful to you, He means it. He doesn't lose track of one of us. He doesn't stop caring for even one of His countless numbers of children scattered all over the face of the earth. His faithfulness is great when you consider how insignificant we are. Then the greatness of our God's faithfulness is also evident from the fact that we are so unworthy. So unworthy. Our sins against God every day would make anyone to say, if that's the way you're going to treat me, forget it. I'm not going to take care of you anymore. But God is faithful. Consider a king, great and glorious king, who takes this peasant girl out of her poverty and says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you to be queen of the land and give you the best of the whole land. But she is a wicked woman and she keeps running away from her husband and she runs after other lovers, but he is faithful to his promise and he goes to get her and brings her back. And then she runs away again, but he continues to be faithful. You would say, that man is faithful to his word. God is faithful, though we turn away from Him, though we run after other lovers, God brings us back. His faithfulness is great. So when you look at the insignificance of His people and you look at the unworthiness of it, then you say the the faithfulness of God is truly great. And then add to that, The cost, the cost of that faithfulness. It's easy to be faithful if you're not tested. A soldier might say, I am faithful to the king, but he's never called out to battle. So maybe he's faithful, maybe not, I don't know. But a soldier who is called to battle who says, I am faithful to my king, And he goes into the battle and he's wounded, but he keeps on fighting. And he gives his life up in the battle. You would say, there is a soldier that was faithful. He gave his life. God's faithfulness to us cost. He gave his son. 
And I want you to think about the terrible agony that his son endured. God's eternal wrath poured out upon his son, whom he loved. God's faithfulness to us is revealed in the cost toward his son. Then you consider that that faithfulness of God never, ever, ever ends. Not after, to speak foolishly, not after millions of years in eternity. We don't even know how to explain it any other way. Never will His faithfulness end. Great is His faithfulness to us. And that's how we know that God's mercy will never cease because God promised and He is faithful. Great is His faithfulness. What a tremendous comfort that is to us in knowing that as Jeremiah put it, They, that is, God's mercies and His compassions, which do not fail, they are new every morning. New every morning. The idea is not this, that when God saved you, He said, now I have this huge, huge amount of mercy here, and it will last you the rest of your life. Nor is it that God says, well, Don't worry, whatever happens in your life, my mercy will be there. Those are beautiful ideas. But the text says something more than that. It says it is new every morning. And now notice the plural, mercies, compassions. Because different kinds of mercies, if you will, and different kinds of compassions, sometimes of our sin that is weighing us down. Sometimes it's the death of a loved one that's weighing us down. Sometimes it's surgery that's there. But there's always a mercy fit perfectly for that situation. Whatever this day holds, there is a mercy, a compassion, new every morning. That's a tremendous comfort, first of all, because our sins will never go away as long as we live. We carry our corrupt nature with us every step of the way. We're prone to wander. We're prone to plunge ourselves back into bondage of sin, bringing God's wrath and judgment upon us. And God says, my mercy is new every morning. God forgives. He may chasten. He may chastise severely. But His mercy is there every morning. Whatever the troubles the child of God faces, we've seen troubles in our churches. We've seen family troubles. We've experienced in many different ways physical pain and suffering, the infirmities of old age. We've seen sorrows, sorrows from family members, 
We've had people in family or church that have suffered cancer, had heart troubles, deaths, beloved spouses, beloved children, grandparents. God's mercy is suited to us for every one of those things. And we know that in the end, the world will unite in its hatred of God and will focus all its efforts and all its inventions to destroy God's church from off the face of the earth. We can expect to be reproached of all. We can expect imprisonment, torture, and death. But this we know, God's mercy will be there every morning. The mercy that gives you, that preserves you, the mercy that gives you strength to go on, the mercy that lifts you up and makes you to be blessed, regardless of the circumstances of your life. Do you confess that? Do you experience that? Or do you sometimes say, but why does God send so much? Why so long do I have to endure this pain and this suffering? Well, you're not alone. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 77. Psalm 77, beginning at verse 7, the psalmist said, Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Where is God's pity? Where is God's loving kindness? When we have suffering and sorrow that's overwhelming. How are we to explain Psalm 77 and Lamentations 3? That His mercies are new every morning when the psalmist is saying, well, where is it? Where is it? This is the answer. God's mercy is God's determination to bless. And to bless each one of His saints to the highest degree that He has determined for that saint. He has determined a different place in heaven and blessing is for you as for you and for me. It's all different. It is the sufferings of this life that are particularly working our blessedness, strengthening us spiritually, setting our minds upon heaven, preparing us for our place there. And you understand, therefore, that the sufferings of this life, if you have an hour of suffering, well, then you have an hour of suffering and the mercy of God is there. And if you have a week of it, well, then you have a week of suffering. But if it goes on for months, if it goes on for years, then that's God's preparation 
for you, for your place in heaven. But you understand, it's the mercy of God that is upholding you through it. It's the mercy of God that is actually lifting you up so that you are not consumed, so that you are not overwhelmed, so you don't throw it all over and say, forget it. The mercy of God is there constantly, bringing you to your highest blessedness in heaven. That's the tremendous comfort that we have. Live out of that mercy. Worship in that. Listen, listen to Psalm 5, verse 7. I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercies. Yes, we come here because we've been forgiven. We've been held up through the week. We come here to worship in the mercy of God. Mercy of God determines our godly life. Psalm 25, 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. Because of the mercy of God, we trust totally in Him. Psalm 36, 7, how excellent is Thy loving kindness, mercy. How excellent is it, O Lord. Therefore the children of men place their trust under the shadow of thy wings, we trust because of his mercy. We speak of it. We talk to people about the tremendous mercy of God. I have not hid thy righteousness in my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness. That's his mercy. I've not concealed it to the great congregation. We talk about God's mercy that we have experienced, and we praise Him, as the kindergarten class did. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations. That's the strength out of which we live. Not our strength, we don't have any. But the strength of God in His tremendous mercy, which is new unto us every morning, because He is faithful. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how great Thou art. How great is thy love for us. How great is thy mercy toward us. We do not know the half of it. But we will. We will experience it eternally. Thy determination to bless us in heaven. Lifting us out of the sin and trouble and sorrow of this world. Into our eternal blessedness with thee. So again, we thank Thee for Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.